This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. If you've been walking down that road for miles and miles, if you've been hearing the same old voice and the same old lies, if you're trying to feel the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life. If you got pain, he's a pain taker. If you feel lost, he's a way maker. If you need freedom, we'll save it. He's a prison shaking savior. You got chains. He's a chain breaker. Mm-hmm. We've all searched for the light of day in the dead of night. We've all found ourselves worn out from the same old fight. We've all run to things you know you just ain't right. There's a better life There's a better life If you got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need freedom We'll save it He's a prison shaking savior you got pain He's a chain breaker If you receive it, if you can feel it, come on, testify. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, come on, testify. Freedom, save it. 
Wonderful concept there. Thank God. Go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to the book of Jonah. And as I said last week, uh, for those of you that maybe weren't here, the, the easiest way to find the book of Jonah is to go to the book of Matthew and go left about seven or eight books. Because if you start in Genesis and work your way, you'll take 10 or 15 minutes to find the book of Jonah. It's so short. So, and especially some pages stick together. Uh, this is our second lesson in this series entitled The Runner. And uh, just for your information, as I said last week, the account with Jonah and the fish really did happen. In the Bible, there are stories that we call parables, and some of them are, are, are fictional accounts. They're illustrations just trying to drive a point home that they didn't really happen. But, but this account of Jonah was not a parable. It was not fake news. Nineveh was a real city in Assyria about 750 before Christ. Jonah was a real man. He was swallowed by a real fish. And if you struggle believing this, and, and uh, I, I mentioned this last week, but think about this, that, because there are some people that say, oh, it couldn't happen. I mean, there's no way that he could be swallowed by a whale, being there three days and three nights and, and, and actually live. But, but, but think about this. If we as humans can build submarines that house a small village of people underwater for up to six months uh, without surfacing, don't you think that God... On his own, even if we don't help him, don't you think he could maybe pull off three days and three nights just for one person? You know, if we can do a village, don't you think God can maybe handle one person for three days? Well, when it comes down to this account, it's so much more than just a fish story. It's a story about a man who ran from God. Which makes his story my story. And it makes his story your story. Because all of us, we have either overtly or covertly, or in other words, we've either openly or secretly, at some point in our lives, we have run from God. Sometimes we have run from his moral will. The Bible has a standard of purity, a standard of morality, a standard of holiness, Many times we have not followed that. Other times we have run from his ethical will. And, and we've done things that might not have been illegal, but they just weren't honorable. Sometimes Christians are guilty of poor, poor ethics. And then way too many of us, we've run from his financial will. We, we don't pay our bills, which is stealing. And then we haven't taken into account principles of stewardship and tithing and and without throwing cold water on this service here, well, let me just say this. If we're a typical church, and, and, and I think in many ways we are, they say that in a typical church, only about 15 to 20% of the members actually give their full tithe. Of course, the tithe is 10%. So that means in a typical church, you have close to 80% of the members that are running from God's financial will. And I know I didn't make any brownie points here. Uh, probably wasn't a very good way to start out the lesson. But welcome to the Church of God Holiness where you never know what your pastor will say. But all of that's to say that most of us have been guilty or are currently guilty of running from God in some way. And, and, and when we do so, and, and we're still on our review from last week, 
When we do so, what, what tends to happen in order to live with our guilt, we turn down the volume of our conscience. And, uh, you know, First uh, uh, Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 talks about that. We can even sear our conscience. And so, therefore, the advice that we've all said, that we've all heard of, let your conscience be your guide, that's horrible, horrible theology. Now, if our conscience is set to Scripture, then God has given us our conscience as, as an aid to help us determine right from wrong. But, but don't let your conscience be your guide. Rather, let Scripture be your guide. We also learned last week that runners f- will find out that you can run from God, but you can't outrun Him. Even eventually, God will send a moment, a wake-up moment. Last week, we referred to it as a now the Lord moment. Now the Lord sent a storm or a then the Lord moment. He sent a fish to try to wake us up. Well, one more segment in our review and then we'll be off and rolling. Let me give you kind of a review geographically. And this right here is, uh, is the country of Israel right there. That's where Jonah was. God called him to Nineveh, which was a city of about 120,000 people. So pretty close to population-wise, the size of Springfield. I think Springfield maybe has 150, 160,000, but pretty close to the size of Springfield. 500 to 550 miles as the crow flies. Um, so God said to Jonah, I want you to go to the Ninevites, to, to Nineveh. And, and he says, no, that they, they worship false gods. And as I mentioned last week, and this is kind of gross here, but the, the, the gold medal that they won every four years in the Olympics, and, and that's just figurative speech, but, but they had perfected the art, listen to this, of skinning people alive and keeping them alive for long periods of time. And so when God said, Jonah, go preach to them, uh, jo- Jonah said, no, I don't, I don't think so. It's not reasonable. It's not safe. Let's, let's go back to that map really fast. Um, so instead of going to Nineveh, he got a boat and took off towards Spain, to Tarshish, which was about 2,500 mile, a 2,500 mile journey. And um, Jonah tried to run from God. And as a result of his running from God, he bumped into a really, really, really big idea that will set the stage for our lesson today. And here it is. I want this to be embedded in your mind. God is generous in his grace, but he's thorough in his discipline. And honestly, this is a concept that we don't like. I mean, we want God to be all about grace. We want all the good stuff. We want blessings. We want God's favor. When we pray, we typically pray, God, would you bless us? And yes, while God is extremely generous in his grace, he's also very thorough in his discipline. Let's move into our scripture reading. And as we do so, Jonah's been in this fish for three days and three nights. Let's pick up our reading, actually in the last verse of Jonah 1, and then we'll jump into Jonah chapter 2. From the NIV, it reads like this. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And last week I said, I bet he did. And then in verse 2, there's something so interesting. He states something, and this is 2,750 years ago, but he states something that that has been true of every generation, has been true of every culture, of, of every language. This is so powerful. He said, 
in my distress, I called to the Lord. Now, let's talk about this a minute. It took distress for Jonah to come back to God. I have found at times that the only thing that will cause us to stop running from God is distress. You know, we're so hard-headed, we're so stubborn, we're so independent, and, and so sermons from the pastor, and, and, and advice from our friends, and, and the commandments from the Bible, many times will not bring us back to God. The only thing that often will get our attention and cause us to quit running from God is distress. In fact, in my time of ministry, here's some of the most common types of distress that I've found cause, cause people to pray and call on the Lord. Probably number one would be marriage problems. I don't know how many times people have come to my office and, and they weep and they sob and they tell about their wife, their husband that has left them. And, and, and in their distress, even though some of them have not had a lot of interest in church and much interest in God, yet in their distress of marriage problems, they began to call on the Lord. In fact, some of you here, you came to know Christ as a result of marriage problems. Probably number two would be health problems. And, and I want to say this sensitively, but there are some people in this church that came to Christ whenever they found out that they had cancer. Another source of distress that causes people to call on God is, let me just say it like we say it in, in, in Cedar County, being busted by the law. When people are arrested, when, when, when they get DUIs, when, when they're facing jail time, I have found that many want to pray. Now, I've also found that when they get out of jail, a big percentage will slide back into their old ways. But, but initially, the distress of being busted by the law causes people to want to pray. So there's something about being broken. There's something about having our backs up against the wall that, that, that causes people to want to call on the Lord. And listen to this. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord and he answered me. Now, remember, Jonah's distress was because of his fault. It was his own making. He ran from God. But God still heard him and answered his prayer. Because, and that shows that God is generous in his grace. And it goes on to say, from deep in the realm of the dead. Now, what does this mean? Well, Jonah thought he was going to die. I mean, he had been swallowed by fish. And do you know what happens when someone is swallowed by big fish? You know, they die. People don't survive that. Now, people survive all kinds of other stuff. They survive heart attacks. They survive strokes. They survive fires. They survive gunshot wounds. They survive plane crashes. They survive buildings falling down on them. But I've never heard of anyone who was swallowed by a fish and inside the fish for three days and three nights and survive. It doesn't happen. And so Jonah knew he was as good as dead. He goes on and says, from deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help and you listened to my cry. This is huge. God listens to desperate cries from desperate people who are in desperate circumstances, even if the circumstances are of their own making. You see, one of the reasons that people sometimes hesitate to follow God and sometimes are hesitant to come to church because they, they think, you know, I've done too much bad stuff. I, I'm just a really, really bad person and, and uh, you know, I don't deserve God's forgiveness. I've run, I've, I've gone too far. But because our Heavenly Father is generous in His grace, regardless of how far you have run, 
regardless of what you have done, God's grace still welcomes you back. Let's continue to read. Verse 3. You hurled me into the deep. Now notice, you, God, not the sailors. You hurled me into the deep. And so Jonah has clarity at this point. He's connected the dots. And this wasn't about a storm. This wasn't about a fish. This wasn't about payback. This was about win back. This was bring back. God's love for Jonah was so powerful, so great. His grace was so generous that he allowed him to encounter distress so that he would come back to him. You hurled me into the deep, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And then we get to an incredible part of the prayer. Verse 4. I said, I have been banished from your sight. Now, being in the belly of the whale would make you feel that way. It says, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Now, back in that day, the holy temple was the visible symbol of God. And so Jonah was saying, God, I will look back to your holy temple again. And in other words, I'm coming back to you. I surrender. I repent. I'm sorry. So God is generous in his grace. Amen. But now let me focus a few minutes of our time on the last half of the statement that we don't like so much. God is generous in his grace, but he's also thorough in his discipline. And so as we begin our, our, our discussion here, let me ask a question. At what point in the story do you think Jonah repented? You think maybe it was day three in the belly of the whale and maybe day two, maybe day one. When do you think Jonah repented? Well, here's what I think. The scripture doesn't say, but I think Jonah repented when they went a one, a two, and maybe there was somebody that was OCD and they said, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, do we throw on three or do we throw after three? And they discussed it a little bit. And so they started in again, a one, a, a, a two. However they did it, here's what I think. I think Jonah repented before he ever hit the water. And I think he said, God, I'm sorry. You know, I'll go to Nineveh or I'll go to Africa. Or I'll go to Albania. I'll go to Elder Springs. Hey, I'll even go to Shell City. I mean, to the ends of the earth. I'll go wherever you send me. Now, let me take just a little detour here to explain something. When I was a kid, and, and, and there were three of us siblings, I had an older sister, I had a younger brother. And so I had the curse of being the middle child. And, you know, there is what is called a middle child syndrome. And, and so that explains probably some of my quirks to you. Um, but by the way, how many of you are, are the middle child? My heart goes out to you. May God bless you and comfort you. But there is something, uh, you know, there, there's significant backing that the middle child experiences feelings of emptiness and adequacy. Uh, low self-esteem, extreme introversion, and, and those things, I mean, they, they say that they, they lead to psychotic behavior. And, and that's scary. scary. And, and so, you know, just please be very, very patient with me, some of my idiosyncrasies. But when, when we were kids, my dad used to spank us with a belt. 
And of course, I was the good kid of the family. And so anytime I got in trouble, it was because my sister and my brother, they pushed me over the edge and it wasn't really my fault. How many of you believe that? Uh, oh, thank you very much. There was one. Bless your heart. But, um, but anyway, my dad spanked us with a belt, not, not the buckle, but the belt. And don't call DFS and report it. Statute of limitations after 50 years has expired. But he would take this wide belt and he would fold it up. And, you know, you can snap it like that. And he would snap it a couple of times for effect. And uh, and then he would just pop us. And, uh, and let me go on record and say I'm so glad he did that. And, and I believe some of you here were, were spanked with a belt. Anybody just want to be open and honest? Yeah, there are a lot of you. You were spanked with a belt. I believe you're also glad that your parents spanked you. And, and some of us wish the rest of your parents would have spanked you as well. Um, and, and by the way, if, if you don't believe in spanking your, your children, I mean, that, that's okay. That, that's okay. You're what's wrong with America. Uh, by the way, I'm just kidding, okay? Don't walk out on me. Don't, don't send me ugly emails, please, okay? I'm just joking, all right? Just joking. Uh, but, but frankly, I'm, I'm, glad, I, I'm glad my dad spanked me because timeout didn't work for me. And all of those mind games that, that we try with our kids, like, like, like saying the opposite of what we want them to do. Now, 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 Joey, don't you dare pick up your toys. Don't you dare do that. Uh, don't you dare come here. Or don't you dare eat your peas. How many of you parents? Yeah, go ahead. We've all done that. We've all done that. That didn't work with me. Or, or, or Joey, I'm on a count. One, two, two and a half, two and three quarters, two and seven eighths, two and fifteen sixteenths, two and thirty one thirty seconds. None of that stuff worked with me. But my dad believed, and I believe as a parent, and now as a grandparent, and many of you believe the same thing, that one of the best things we can do for our children, and yes, even our grandchildren, that's harder, but it's to associate disobedience or rebellion with pain. Not abuse, nothing like that but some pain because disobedience and rebellion, you know what? They lead to pain. And the earlier we learn that the better. Now here's the deal. When I was disobedient as a kid and and as soon as I saw my dad pull his belt off, I became a new creature in Christ Jesus. (laughs) Seriously, I repented recommitted my life to Christ. And some people say, well, I finally came to the point of recommitting my life to Christ. Well, I recommitted my life to Christ dozens and dozens of times. Every time the belt came off, I I recommitted my life to Christ. And I would tell dad, I'm sorry, dad, I'll go. I won't go. You know, I'll stay. I'll take it back. I'll eat my spinach. I'll eat my sister's spinach, whatever I need to do. And but anyway, here would come the belt. And, and and most of us as kids, you know, we were the same. We, we, We would say, dad, dad, Wait, 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 wait a minute. Let me just say one thing. And, and dad would say, what do you want to say, Joe? 
don't spank me. I, I've learned my lesson. I, I, I know I was wrong. And I know I shouldn't have hit my sister, even though she was provoking me and really probably deserved it a lot more than I gave her. But, but, but I've learned my lesson. There's no need to spank me. And, and you know what my dad would do? The nerve of him. Even after recommitting my life to Christ, even after saying I was sorry, even after promising that I would never do it again, do you know what my dad would do? He would spank me. Because he knew, and your heavenly Father knows, that sometimes discipline must be thorough to ensure that we learn the lesson well. God is generous with his grace, but he's thorough with his discipline. And again, his discipline, the memory of pain, is not to pay you back. It's to bring you back. It's to win you back. And as a side note, and this is just for for parents, I won't charge you for this part, and it's actually off topic, but we'll make it on topic. Parents, when you discipline your child, if you're angry and you are thinking, I'll show them, and you slap them or bite them or whatever they did, and you think this this will in kind of a way get even for what they did, if that's what you are thinking, then your attitude is payback and that's not the purpose of discipline discipline is win back it's bring back and sometimes distress pain is the best way for that to happen back on point what i want to emphasize is that even though jonah probably had repented long before he ever hit the water god allowed him to be swallowed by that fish and stay inside that fish for three super long days and three super long nights in fact listen to how jonah describes it in verse five the engulfing waters threatened me the deep surrounded me seaweed was wrapped around my neck to the roots of the mountains i sank down the earth beneath me beneath barred me in forever god's discipline is thorough And I was just thinking about this this past week. When the nation of Israel rebelled, God sent them into captivity for how long? Seventy years. And I think they probably learned their lesson way earlier than year 70. I think by year 7 or maybe the 70-day mark or maybe seven days, they, 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 they said, God, we, we've learned our lesson. No more idols. We've learned our lesson But God still let them endure discipline for 70 years. When the nation of Israel disobeyed God in the wilderness, there were 40 years of wandering. And and again, I was thinking about this. I think they learned their lesson far earlier than year 40, maybe year 14 or or, or year 4. But God still let them wander around for 40 years. When King David disobeyed God, God allowed David to suffer consequences. His son died. His reputation was damaged. And and he was disciplined in ways that seemed to go far beyond what was necessary to teach King David a lesson. But God's discipline was thorough. But here's what's so important. Even when Israel was in captivity for 70 years, even when the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years, even when King David learned a painful lesson, God never abandoned them. Because even though God is thorough with his discipline, he's generous with his grace. Let's keep on reading. Verse 6. But you, and remember Jonah's inside the fish, 
He's scared. He's terrified. There's darkness. In the midst of all of that, when he thought it was possibly over, he says, but you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And then Jonah, he gets to the best part of the prayer in terms of clarity. This is the pinnacle of his prayer. It's so big. I want to make sure you're paying attention. Are you paying attention? Elbow your neighbor there if you got one. Um, in fact, if you've been counting lights or if you've been counting ceiling tiles or to, to get through this boring sermon, if you're counting the times that I say, uh, or mm, please don't miss this part. Because this next verse describes the dilemma that every person faces who is running from God. Listen to this. This is incredible. He says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit. Now, now that word forfeit means abandon or give up. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them. Now, this is tricky, so we need to spend a little bit of time here. What does it mean when it says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them? Does that mean that when you stray away from God, that God quits loving you? Let me try to explain this. When you run from God, it's because you're running to a person or you're running to an opportunity. You're running to a lifestyle. You're running to a pleasure. So when you run from God, you're running to someone or something. So when it says those who cling to worthless idols forfeit God's love for them, it doesn't mean that God doesn't love you anymore. You know, scripture says in Romans chapter eight, you know, what can separate us from the love of God? And, you know, there's hardship and, and famine. There's even nakedness in there. I don't know why that was thrown into that list of things. But, but it says nothing can separate us from the love of God. Now, just clarification, it doesn't say that nothing can separate us from a relationship with God. Because Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says that your iniquities have separated you from God. But, but eight, uh, Romans 8.38 says that nothing can separate us from the love of God. God will always love us. So what Jonah is saying is that when people run from God, they forfeit. They distance themselves. They give up that beautiful experience of walking and talking and communing and fellowshipping with God. They no longer experience God's intimate love relationship. They forfeit that for worthless things. Yes, God still loves them, but they've forfeited that beautiful daily relationship with him. And it took the distress of Jonah being swallowed by the whale for him to understand that. And, and it finally dawned on him that, that running from God was a terrible, terrible decision on his part because what he gained. And, and by the way, what did Jonah gain? A little bit of independence. He, uh, he got to put on his resume that he was swallowed by a whale and lived. That was it. So what he gained was not even close to what he gave up in having a close relationship with God, Jehovah. And, and here is the truth. Most of us have to learn the hard way. We do not learn until we're broken. We don't learn until we're busted. 
We don't learn until we're caught. We don't learn until our backs are up against the wall. And then, and then only do we connect the dots and understand that what we were chasing after never, ever, ever comes close in terms of joy and peace and fulfillment to what we gave up. So Jonah, in the midst of his prayer, there's this moment of clarity. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit that intimacy, that fellowship with God. Verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. In other words, Jonah said, I'm finished running. And I'm making a vow to you that I will make good. And you want a little glimpse into next week? Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I gave you. And, And by the way, do you know why the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time? Gave him a second chance because God is generous in his grace. And how did Jonah respond the second time after he had gone through distress? Verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. And so Jonah did indeed make good on his vow. Now, in a moment, we're going to have uh, we're going to have an invitation, and I'm going to invite you to quit running. Because once again, this is not just Jonah's story; it's my story. It's your story. It's our story. And I'm going to stop invite you to stop running some of you may be running from God morally maybe pornography it may be an affair and so this will be an opportunity for you to confess to God and pledge a life of purity to him some of you may be running from God and you're doing some questionable things ethically and this will be your opportunity to pledge to God that you will not only keep the law but you will be a person of honor Some of you may be running from God in your finances. You're spending money in ways that doesn't please God or you're not paying your bills and probably a good number and I'm not upset at you. I don't know who you are, but probably a good part of you here have not taken the step of giving your tithe back to God. You're running from God financially. And today I believe there are going to be some of you that are going to connect the dots and And you'll begin to realize that, you know, I have been running from God. And and maybe because you weren't chasing after drugs or or wild women or whatever, you think, you know what, I, I, I haven't been running. But yet, I believe that there are some of us here today that we have been running in different ways at the expense of a right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And so today I want to just encourage you to decide that you will not waste another season of your life pursuing something that will eventually just create more chaos. And here's the best news that I could ever tell you in your distress. Even if it's your fault, when you call on the Lord, He will hear you and He will answer you. So we're going to pray. And during this prayer... I want you just in your own way. And, you know, the altar is always open. You're free to come. This is a safe place. 
And I think sometimes we're scared of this place because we think, oh, if I come to the altar, then that means I've been a terrible person and people are going to talk behind my back. If they do that, shame on them. They need to come to the altar. But this is a safe place. But maybe God's not going to require you to come to the altar, but maybe where you are, He's going to ask you to quit running and surrender and repent. Would you please stand? And while I pray, if anybody wants to come forward, you don't confess your sins to me. I'm not some high priest that you have to confess to. You just confess to Jesus. But if you want to come and kneel, you're welcome to come. But I would urge you, even if you don't come where you are, standing where you are, would you quit running? Say, God, here I am. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Precious Heavenly Father. Father, I want to just thank you for the book of Jonah. They say the dynamite comes in small packages, and that's the case with the book of Jonah. Short book. Four short chapters. But Lord, it's so powerful because Jonah's story is our story. So, Lord, I pray this morning that as we spend some time praying that for those that are running, Lord, I believe there are some here this morning that are into pornography and they're running from God morally. Lord, I pray that, God, you would do a work and that you would cleanse them and purify them. Lord, there may be some here that have affairs going on. and God, I pray that they would stop running from you and that they would... Be people of purity. Lord, there may be some people here that aren't honorable. They, 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 they might be barely keeping the law, but... Father, their ethics are horrible. Lord, that's hurt the cause of Christianity. Father, if we're questionable in our ethics, I pray that right now you would do a work and help us to just align our ethics with you. And then, God, I pray for those that maybe financially, they, uh, they're just now connecting the dots and maybe they haven't been paying their bills. And, Lord, help them to understand that there's an obligation there. And if they can't do it, that at least they would go to the people and work out a payment plan, Father, than not just leave it unpaid. And the Lord, for those that haven't taken the step of faith of tithing, Lord, we know that it's... Lord, we know it's tough. We know that times are tough. And we know we hear, hear stories about all of these churches that misappropriate funds. And the pastor has a private jet and all of the, the abuses. And so naturally there's that skepticism to where we hesitate. But nevertheless, Lord, despite the abuses, we know that it's your principle that we give joyfully, generously, to God. Lord, I pray that there would be some people today that would just take this step of faith and say, from today forward, with God's help, I will do this. Father, just continue to linger among us, I pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Is there anybody here that would just lift a hand and say, Pastor, don't single me out. Don't embarrass me, but pray for me because God has spoken to me this morning. Anybody just want to lift a hand? Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anyone else? 
Pray for me. Thank you. Anyone else? Pray for me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Several hands. Anybody else? Just pray for me, Pastor. God is really dealing with me right now. Lord, you see these hands. These people that have been just very faithful to admit that they're being dealt with. And I pray that they would quit running. But Lord, equally, you are just as able to see our hearts as you are our hands. And for those this morning that maybe have failed to recognize that they're running from you, I pray that, Father, I pray that this would be the day that they would stop running. That they would say, God, here I am. I will look to you. I repent. I surrender. Forgive me. Lord, I pray that this week we would live carefully. God, I pray that there would be nothing in our lives that would hinder hinder our testimony. There would be nothing in our lives that would hinder a relationship with you. Lord, I just feel that you're here today. And God, again, for those that maybe are stubborn like I was. Lord, for those that are like Jonah that knew what God wanted, but yet he did his own thing. He said, I want to run as far away from Nineveh as I can. He headed the opposite direction. Lord, for those that are running from you, I just pray that right now you would bring them to the point whether you have to send distress, a storm, or a modern day whale. I pray that they would stop and they would understand it's not payback, but it's win back, it's bring back. So Lord, we just pray this. And ask that you would do a work. That you would finish the work that I believe has started this morning. And God, uh, for the way that you're going to help us this week. For the way that you're going to help us as we read your word and pray. And as we, as we interact with each other. Just for the life of godliness that you're going to help us live. We want to thank you ahead of time. And for what you do for us, we will praise you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, before we go, I just really sense that maybe there's some needs here today, and I'm not going to uh, beg and plead, twist your arm, but if, if maybe you were just a little bit too, uh, too, shy, too, too shy to come forward, but you feel like you're going to need some extra prayer support, find, find somebody that you've got confidence in, or talk to me or one of our staff members, or just find somebody that knows God and say, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me? Would you just do that this week? And let's make sure that uh, our needs are taken care of. Thank you. You've been so awesome. You haven't stomped out. You haven't thrown rotten tomatoes. And uh, bless you and hope you have a good week. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.